This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. In Eagle Pass, Texas, a tense political standoff continues between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and President Joe Biden. The federal government has jurisdiction over immigration matters in this country, especially at the border. But in Eagle Pass, it's the state that's taken over. Compared to what we're used to seeing, baseball games, soccer games, we are met with National Guardsmen, shipping containers, razor wire. And I believe today they're adding even more razor wire. That's Eagle Pass resident Carlos Herrera. Earlier this month, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott deployed Texas National Guardsmen and state troopers to Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. They took over the park, which had been used by federal Border Patrol agents to process thousands of migrants crossing the border at Eagle Pass every day. But now, the Texas law enforcement officers refuse access to U.S. Border Patrol agents. This is in defiance of federal jurisdiction. But Governor Abbott argues Texas is asserting its right to defend itself against what he says is, quote, an invasion of migrants. Here's Abbott on Fox News last week. Authors of the Constitution knew there would be times when the federal government would not live up to its duty. And so they empowered states in Article 1, Section 10, the right of self-defense. And what Texas is asserting is our Article 1, Section 10 right of self-defense because the president of the United States is not fulfilling his duty to enforce the laws passed by Congress that deny illegal entry into the United States. The Department of Homeland Security says 302,000 migrants crossed the U.S. southern border in December, a monthly record. There is a crisis going on there. President Joe Biden claims he would, quote, shut down the border, but that congressional inaction is preventing him from doing it. We would finally provide the funding I requested early on and again in October to secure our borders. It includes an additional 1,300 border patrols. We need more agents on the border. 375 immigration judges to judge whether or not someone can come or not come and be fair about it. 1,600 asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out our southwest border. They'll also give me as president the emergency authority has shut down the border until it could get back under control. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. Now, House Speaker Mike Johnson recently killed the it that President Biden, Biden was talking about, a bipartisan immigration deal being hashed out now in the Senate. Now, Donald Trump and right-wing Republicans in the House object to the agreement, and yesterday Johnson affirmed that the Senate border security proposal is, quote, absolutely dead, even though work continues in the Senate to hash out that bipartisan deal. So the country is at the confluence right now of three major issues. First, what exactly is happening at the border near Eagle Pass. What is the shape and reality of the crisis there? Thousands of migrants continue to try to cross every day. So what is that like for the city of Eagle Pass and the residents who live there? Second, can the state of Texas legally seize jurisdiction away of of the border from the federal government? Or could the state of Texas be heading towards causing a constitutional crisis? And third, the politics, of course. 
Why isn't President Biden trying to do more? Does he have options that do not require congressional appropriation? Even some Democrats say there are such options, though they may be limited. So how much can a small group of far-right House members and Donald Trump, a man not even in office right now, undermine any border reforms in this election year while the entire country pays the price? So joining me now is Representative Eddie Morales. He represents Texas House District 74 in the state legislature. That district covers more than half of the cities on the U.S.-Mexico border in the Del Rio sector. Of course, it includes Eagle Pass. And he joins us now from Eagle Pass, Texas. Representative Morales, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you, Magna, for having us. So first, give us a clear picture of you know what's happening, let's say, right now in the past few days in terms of the numbers of uh, migrants who are trying to cross uh, uh, into Eagle Pass. What's it like? So, right, we, we live under a new reality. I mean, the numbers have drastically dropped from what was taking place in early December when we were having a little over 10,000 people, migrants crossing per day. We're now at one to 2,000. And while those numbers may be drastically low, I think there's a numbing effect that we have because those are still numbers that are unsustainable. Can you tell me why they're unsustainable? Well, when you add them up uh, day by day, uh, it just takes the resources away from Border Patrol. Um, DPS still has to be out here. There's a, a lot of if you live, if you live in a subdivision or in a residence or in a ranch close to the riverbanks, you still have to deal with this on a regular basis. I get calls from a, a ton of constituents and text messages and photographs also of the damages caused to their land. So uh, it's clear that this is not sustainable. You know, and I signed up for Operation Lone Star, the last legislative uh, cycle, as well as this cycle to, to fully fund border security. Because those are the needs of our communities, especially the ones that I represent, representing nine out of the 14 counties that share a border with Mexico. So I know that this was important to them to get a, a lot of these reimbursable costs. But I think that we need to think bigger and not just put a Band-Aid on this and actually fix the issue. Mm-hmm. And Congress has just failed this for over 30 plus years. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that later. Uh, but can you tell me more, Representative Morales, about what the um, the the crisis right now, uh, and actually also, as you mentioned, over the past several months, what impact has it had on the city of Eagle Pass? I mean, has it had a, a negative impact on, for example, the economy there? Definitely. You know, with the, so you, you, your viewers, your listeners have to understand also that this has a domino effect. Uh, migrants crossing through the river are getting um, the asylum uh, processing, will get asylum, uh, they'll make a request for asylum, they'll get processed under that, and then they'll be able to stay here. If you try to use a dry land port like an international bridge, they will stop you from even getting to the customs office or building, and there's only a minimum number. So most of them are crossing through the river, exposing themselves as well as our law enforcement officers that are patrolling the river. So I think that we need to understand that. And then from that, it has a rippling effect because then Governor Abbott, what he will do to send a message to Mexico and to the state of Coahuila, which is right across uh, Eagle Pass. Uh, and that's where this, uh, our sister city of Piedras Negras sits. Um, they'll send a message by then uh, Governor Abbott asking for 100 percent commercial inspections. And what that does then is what used to take a commercial vehicle to cross the International Bridge 
you know, five to 15 minutes at most, now it'll take hours. And so they're just idling there because of these 100% commercial inspections and whatever they were charging um, is just being wasted, for example, in gas. And it's doing absolutely nothing to actually curb the migrant search that's taking place. It's mm-hmm. more of an economic um, deterrent that the governor is imposing on the state of Coahuila to kind of send a message that you need to do more. But in the process, our communities at the local, regional, and statewide, it has a domino effect. We were losing, I think, the last year during the leg- one of the legislative session, he imposed this restriction also. And a famous economist did some numbers, and it's online, and I think that we lost close to $5 billion in those four or five days. So you can just imagine the rippling and domino effect that an action like that takes. And this is supposed to be the Republican Party, right, which is supposed to be pro-business, pro-small business, pro-limited government, you know, pro-trade. And it's actually the antithesis of that. Yeah. So, by the way, I should note that um, you're a Democrat. You call yourself a conservative Democrat. And so we're going to come back in a a little bit to talk about why you supported um, Operation Lone Star from the from Governor Abbott. We'll do we'll do that in in, uh, just a few minutes. But but Representative Morales, you made a very, very important point just there in that the border, a fully functioning border exists not just to deal with um, migration or immigration of human beings, but also to facilitate um, you know, the economy of border communities and, in fact, the rest of the country, right, because so much um, economic activity that benefits the United States happens cross-border. Um, so can you just tell me a little bit more, because this is the kind of on-the-ground detail that it's hard to get uh, when you just read exclusively the national media. For example, I understand that, that you're a business owner as well, and a lot of your employees may live uh, in in Mexico and need to cross every day in order to to work in your business, but that's become exceedingly difficult? Yeah, and it's not just only us. Remember yeah. in Del Rio about two years ago, there was uh, we had an influx of migrants that went from 1,000 that were under the international bridge there to 15,000 almost overnight. And so we, at that point, it was the first time that we had actually seen a migrant, migrant search of that size. And I remember getting calls from H-E-B from McDonald's, from grocery stores there in Del Rio that were dependent on their employees actually living in, uh, you know, across in Mexico and, and couldn't couldn't cross because they had closed down the bridges at that point. And so we're experiencing the same issues here most recently. You know, I think uh, we have approximately 15 employees in our tortilla factory that's been in our family for the last 36 years. We're extremely proud of that. And then some of our um, employees actually choose to live in Mexico and have their, their families over there because it's just uh, a lot less inexpensive. Uh, and, and, and so what you end up seeing or hearing from them is that it's taking at times it was taking four or five hours. We'd tell them, you know, don't don't come. Don't we don't want you to wait in line for four or five hours just to to cross and especially when you have hours of operation like at six in the morning. Can you imagine mm. Somebody having to sit there for hours trying to get across or the bridge being closed. Yeah. Another instance, for example, we were having in December because of the super high number of migrant search that took place. They also, the federal government decided to also stop the rail bridge crossings. Mm. And we have Union Pacific um, who has now received the most influx 
disappeared through this trade. And they were losing close to $200 million a day, them alone. And it was having a rippling effect of $1 billion a day. Wow. And none of these actions seem to have made any meaningful impact on the migrant crisis itself that's drawing all the political attention to Eagle Pass. So Representative Eddie Morales, stand by for just a moment. We have a lot more questions uh, to ask you about what's happening there at the Texas-Mexico, the U.S.-Mexico border. We'll be back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're trying to get a deep understanding of exactly what is happening and what is at stake with the migrant crisis, specifically in Eagle Pass, Texas, and also the political implications of the standoff that is going there, going on there, the political standoff between the state of Texas and the federal government. Uh, now, we spoke with people who are living in Eagle Pass, in addition to Representative Eddie Morales, who joins us today. One of those residents is Carlos Herrera. He lives about five blocks from Shelby Park. He's been living there for about two and a half years, and Shelby Park is the place that the state of Texas has taken over or seized jurisdiction away from the federal government. And Carlos says a few times in the past year, groups of migrants have approached him at about one or two in the morning looking for help. I get people close to where I live asking for money, and, I, and they come in groups of threes, fours, fives. For a group of individuals to come up to you at that time can be a little bit unnerving. It's a bit nerve-wracking. So it does cause for concern. I did take some security measures. I set up a camera. I set up spotlights. Now that we've had that huge influx of migrants that came over, our citizens here, our community members, have to wait a little bit longer for first aid responders. Now, Herrera is also state director for the Eagle Pass Board of Realtors. And in fact, because of the money that's coming to Eagle Pass from the state of Texas to support those Texas state troopers and National Guardsmen and women, Herrera says it seems to be boosting the local economy. Getting the hotel rooms completely booked, our rental market right now is just quote-unquote, on fire. Even houses are selling at a very good price per square foot. Also restaurants, our local bars, 
any restaurant at night after five, it's completely booked. And you're probably waiting 45 minutes to an hour to even get seated down. And one more thing. Carlos Herrera says he's got a good friend who works for Customs and Border Protection in Shelby Park. And he says that friend was almost relieved when Texas state troopers and National Guardsmen came in. He was working 12-hour shifts, had no days off. It put a strain on his physical, I guess, his physical and mental stance. And it also, it was affecting his, his personal life as well with his family. I did sit down and I talked with him and he told me, hey, you know what, Carlos, I'm kind of glad that they're helping us out because now I have actually have a day or two off. That's Carlos Herrera, Eagle Pass resident. Well, once again, I'm joined today by Representative Eddie Morales. He's a Texas state representative who represents House District 74 in the state legislature. And that district covers many, many cities and counties uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border, including Del Rio and Eagle Pass. Representative Morales, can you tell us a little bit more about what your constituents, what the the people living in Eagle Pass are thinking right now regarding, um, you know, what Shelby Park and also uh, what's been happening regarding the migrant crisis to their lives. Yes. Um, so I want to first say that Carlos is 100 percent right in everything that, that he mentioned there. That is essentially the feelings that I um, have uh, and my family have seen, as well as the conversations that I've had with many of my constituents. And so I totally understand those I've, I've even gotten photographs uh, or videos, you know, of um, constituents where, you know, people are in their backyard and they're working at night and they left their family in the house and they're concerned about, you know, the, are they well intentioned? And you don't, you know, those are the things. Ninety nine percent of the migrants just want a better life, but it's still there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so at, at this point, we're basically frustrated. We're frustrated that a federal government and specifically Congress has not taken effective action in over 30 years. We're, we're frustrated that the state government has decided to use our community as a backdrop and as a prop for their political theater instead of actually doing the work that we were elected to do. And it just seems that they want to come. They want to take these pictures by the riverbank on the boat ramp or on you know, take their, their nice pictures on the boat itself on those DPS boats. And then they go back and while we're losing billions of dollars at the federal level with this issue and billions of dollars more at the state level, nothing is done. And I want to say also to all of your listeners, you know, Republicans and Democrats work on 80, 85 percent. We're uh, able to do in the legislature, at least on the House, we're able to get the work that we are sent down there to Austin to do. It's amazing how um, even Republicans will will control the extreme far right members and put them in check. And so I found that uh, appealing. But in this one instance, it just seems that it takes its own narrative and it takes its own wings and people buy into the whole uh, political rhetoric instead of really having the adult conversation in the room the communities like Eagle Pass, Del Rio, the city of Presidio and El Paso and the rest of the valley uh, down south of us are expecting for their elected leaders, either at the state level or the federal level. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I've been very um, 
impressed by reading and, and listening to people actually who live in Eagle Pass because, uh, you know, most almost all of the residents there have a very deep understanding of immigration in the United States because their own families have um, powerful immigration stories of all kinds. And that's, I think you're exactly right, Representative. We've been hearing people living there saying no one's actually paying attention to how we can actually solve these problems, right? It's been hijacked uh, for political purposes. Now, you have been um, very clear in your in your criticism of Governor Abbott, for example, saying that this is just political theater uh, in an election year that isn't actually doing much to solve the problem, the seizing of Shelby Park, for example. But, you know, the president of the United States, President Biden, appointed Vice President Kamala Harris to be the immigration czar uh, for the country. Do you think the Biden administration, not just now, but, you know, for the many, many months this has been going on, has been listening to you and others uh, from the, uh, you know, on on the border about what is actually needed to solve this problem. I've also been critical of the White House and specifically President Biden and uh, um, put those uh, critiques in writing to him and to the White House. Uh, we would be expecting more. And we just, you know, as the White House and the Democratic Party, um, we just open ourselves to these sorts of attacks from the opposition, whenever you name a border star who has not even been to the border. I think, you know, she's, you been, yeah, I think she's been there once, but it hasn't been frequently, that's for sure. And that's the thing. I mean, when you're the boy, I mean, you should basically, I mean, this is having such a serious issue. You should basically be living here on the border, whether it's Texas uh, or, or Arizona or California to actually see what's going on on a regular basis. I think that's the level of importance that our community and our uh, our Texans and, and all Americans are expecting from their from their leaders. More importantly, I think that they're also, you know, two years ago, I was calling for the president and for the governor also to ask to have a seat at the table with the president of Mexico and Latin America. And only most recently in December, when we had this huge migrant surge, did White, the White House send Mallorcas and Blinken down there to speak to the president of Mexico. And within a day or two, after there was an exchange, uh, uh, an agreement over some compensation for Mexico helping, we were immediately able to see the results and the, and the fruits of, of those negotiations. Mexico started sending people back in buses and in airplanes and not letting, even, le- letting them even get to the river riverbanks. This is what we were supposed to be doing two, two and a half years ago. And more importantly, also, it's like we have created at the federal and state level, our security measures have created this billion dollar industry for the bad guys, for the cartels and the human smugglers. They get to exploit these migrants. They get to assault them. They get to uh, steal from them. And then they also charge them. Uh, the numbers were anywhere from two to five thousand. Most recently in committee hearings, we heard anywhere from five to fifteen thousand that migrants had to pay in order for them to be able to cross and so we've created this industry um, that's just for the bad guys. We need to, and that's where my Texas migrant and processing plan, I thought would show up also Congress and, and, and saying like, look, you haven't taken action in over 30 years. Look, the state of Texas is going to carefully tailor legislation and take into account the instructions to the Ledge Council who drafts our, our bills with, take into account the U.S.-Arizona Supreme court decision so you can narrowly tailor it but so that we can bring some relief we can use our dry land ports we can issue a non-voting clearly distinguishable id card we will charge a two thousand dollar processing fee at the eight thousand daily numbers that we're seeing we would generate 16 million dollars a day 
if we were to assess that processing fee in over $5 billion, just in the Eagle Pass Del Rio sector, just imagine in two years, we would be able to reimburse ourselves as a state for the $10 billion that we've allocated under Operation Lone Stars under, uh, under the last two sessions. I think those are the numbers also that our Texas taxpayers are expecting their leaders to do and to have an efficient and wise use of their taxpayer dollars. Mm. Uh, has that idea gone anywhere, Representative? It's picked up some traction, but unfortunately, you know, it's gone through some revisions. And I almost feel like, again, there's uh, people that are uh, carefully whispering or asking. And we, we got to remember, we had um, a historic four special sessions. This this legislative cycle has been the longest serving cycle in the state of Texas. We're supposed to be a part time legislative body, but the governor has treated us as a as a full time legislative body because he's the one that gets to call the special sessions. Right. And so uh, it almost feels like they're slow rolling the 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 changes to the proposed bill. And it's almost because, you know, I've, I've sat down with Republicans and, and my colleagues and they'll say this, this bill makes too much sense. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's it's sad because I think we could really have that discussion of a state taking care of itself under uh, under the current predicament that we find ourselves yeah. in yeah. and make it income generating as well as protecting migrants and, and giving them the status that that they rightfully deserve and putting conditions like they have to be gainfully employed so that we can address the Republican basis concerns mm. that they're just coming and mooching from the system. Well, we'll show you they're going to pay a fee and they also have to be gainfully employed and pay into the system. So Representative Eddie Morales, hang on here for just a second. Uh, because I just want to hear from some other Texas listeners who reached out to us. And then we need to move to the really uh, thorny legal questions that this uh, crisis is raising. So first of all, this is On Point listener Laura Espihel Rangel. She lives in Lincoln, Nebraska now, but she grew up on the border uh, in Texas, specifically in McAllen, Texas, and Eagle Pass. She lived there uh, for... uh, Eight years, I should say, didn't grow up, but lived there for eight years from 2000 to 2008 while her father worked at the Mexican consulate. What people don't understand about the realities about migration on the border or just border life is just how interconnected these cities are. I think living there is definitely a unique experience. Um, something else is that, you know, border crossings and illegal border crossings and unfortunate death of migrants, it's, not, it's nothing new. Um, these are issues that have been happening for a very long time. And here's Thomas O'Neill, a listener in Austin, and he says he understands what's motivating Governor Greg Abbott. He is only acting out of frustration with what he perceives and a lot of other people perceive as inaction that has allowed the border to be overrun with so many illegals. Well, I'd like to bring Stephen Vladek into the conversation now. He's the Charles Allen Wright Chair of Federal Courts at the University of Texas School of Law. He's also author of The Shadow Docket, How the Supreme Court Uses Stealth Rulings to Amass Power and Undermine the Republic. And he joins us now from Austin. Professor Vladek, welcome back to On Point. Thanks, Magna. Great to be with you. Okay, so first of all, um, just set the record straight. Is Governor Abbott, is the state of Texas legally allowed to seize Shelby Park put it under state jurisdiction and not allow, uh, you know, federal law enforcement to enter. 
So the short answer is no, um, and the the longer answer is a little more complicated. But you know, the basic way that the Supreme Court has structured its understanding of immigration enforcement is that the federal government has the primary role in deciding what our immigration policies are going to be. The federal government has the primary responsibility, Magna, to set enforcement priorities. States are not supposed to be able to have their own enforcement priorities. And so although local and state jurisdictions are free to help federal authorities and are free to obviously engage in their own, you know, sort of protection of their local areas, they're not supposed to be able to stand in the way of, to supplant or otherwise obstruct whatever the federal government is doing, no matter how strong their disagreements might be, no matter how compelling their arguments might be. Preemption is a matter of the Constitution's division of supremacy. Well, in fact, though, that's the exact argument in terms of protection that Governor Abbott is making, right? I mean, he has said explicitly that the Constitution gives him the right to protect Texas territory, which is, of course, of course, coincident with the territory of the United States. And he says he's protecting Texas from, quote unquote, invasion so that he does have the right to do this. Right. And so there are two different but equally significant problems with that argument. The first is, um, as you know, alarming and troubling and chaotic as what's happening along the border is, it is not an invasion, as the drafters of the Constitution would have understood the term, as every court to ever consider the question has understood the term. Um, and so, you know, before we even get to the the bigger problem, there's just the the sort of the threshold issue that calling it an invasion might score political points and it might be rhetorically satisfying to those who have strong views about immigration policy. Constitutionally, it's a non-starter. Even if it is, though, I mean, Magna, even if we assume for the sake of argument that you could call it an invasion, the way that Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, the provision Governor Abbott referenced in the passage you played earlier, the way that works and the way it was always supposed to work is to empower states to defend themselves only until such time as the federal government could respond. Keep in mind, 1787, you know, the we have lots of borders with foreign countries that at the time did not like us very much. We had a tiny federal army. We had a Congress that was out of session most of the year. So the reason why that clause is in the Constitution is to say, hey, Texas, if you are invaded and the federal government hasn't had a chance to show up yet, you don't have to wait for us. You mm. can defend yourselves. What Governor Abbott is doing is he is inverting that to say, if the federal government is there and I just don't think it's doing enough, I can override them. One, Megan, that's not how that provision has ever been understood. Two, if that were so, it would be a radical restructuring of state and federal power, not just in the context of immigration, but in any context in which a state could claim, even just rhetorically, that it's being invaded by something else. And so, you know, I understand that everyone's dander is up about the politics of immigration, but the constitutional law here both one, is quite clear, and two, is quite clear for a reason. Um, and really what Governor Abbott's arguments reduced to are long since discredited, you know, 19th century era arguments for what at the time was called nullification. Um, those arguments were wrong when they were first made, and they just don't survive, if nothing else, the Civil War. Well, uh, but Governor Greg Abbott is making those arguments now. So uh, when we come back from the from the break, I want to talk with both of you, Professor Vladek and Representative Morales, about what the implications of that might be. So much more in a moment. This is On Point. Thank you. 
did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And just a quick note for a show that we've got brewing for a little later this week. It's about the radical increase in chronic absenteeism in American schools. Now, we asked educators for your thoughts about that, and we got a lot of uh, Vox Pop submissions and a lot of voicemails about it. So now, parents, talking to you here, uh, do you think that your threshold has changed since the pandemic for when uh, your kid can stay home from school. What are some of the challenges that you face in getting your kids to school um, on time every day that you think may be contributing to this increase in chronic absenteeism? We want to hear your point of view uh, as a parent in terms of this really this doubling in chronic absenteeism across American schools. So hop over to your phone, get the On Point Vox Pop app and send us your thoughts or call us at 617-353-0683. That's for a little bit later this week, tomorrow, in fact. Today we are talking about the migrant crisis in Eagle Pass, Texas, and also perhaps the constitutional crisis that it is creating because Texas Governor Greg Abbott has essentially seized a public park in Eagle Pass uh, and is preventing federal border agents from entering that area. I'm joined today by Representative Eddie Morales. He represents House District 74 in the Texas State Legislature that includes Eagle Pass, Del Rio, and nine of the 14 major counties in the Del Rio sector. And Representative, I promise I'll come back to you in just a second here, but we're also joined by Stephen Vladek, who is a professor at the University of Texas School of Law. Uh, but Professor Vladek, just quickly, when you were describing the original um, sort of intent of the writers of the Constitution when it came to federal jurisdiction versus state jurisdiction, for a second there, I thought I heard you sounding a little bit like a textualist on this matter. <laughs> well, so, Megna, it's, it's textual, but it's also historical. Um, so this is actually one of the rare cases in which the 1787 Constitution actually just reincorporates text from our predecessor charter, from the Articles of Confederation. You know, we don't talk about the Articles of Confederation that much because the Constitution was mostly meant to repudiate them, um, right? That the Constitution was drafted because the Articles of Confederation were so weak that they gave too much power to the states, not enough power to the national government. And one of the remarkable things about the clause Governor Abbott is relying upon, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, is actually that language was already in the Articles of Confederation. And so what's striking about this is whether you're a textualist, an originalist, just you know someone who has never even heard of those terms before, here's a context in which the historical evolution 
of how that power was understood, of how it was understood that states would and would not be able to defend themselves, actually reinforces the point that it's the federal government's power in the first instance, and that the reason why the Constitution makes this exception, Megna, from the otherwise prohibition on states, quote, engaging in war, is for those circumstances that are very unlikely to arise today, but were very plausible in the late 18th century, where a state is invaded and federal troops are days, if not weeks away. You know, Magna contrasts that with Operation Lone Star, Mm. which has been underway now for two and a half years. And so whatever you think of what's happening along the Texas-Mexico border, the notion that the federal government hasn't had a chance to respond is just laughable. And instead, what's really going on is Governor Abbott trying to use this constitutional provision as a way of basically countermanding a federal response that, to his view, has been insufficient. Mm. Uh, Representative Morales, it's time for us to explain exactly what Operation Lone Star is because you said you did vote uh, for it. Um, Can you just quickly explain what the, what program that is, as Professor Vladek says, has been going on for more than two years. Sure. So Operation Lone Star, remember, uh, Governor Abbott did not have to initiate border security. And once he uh, petitioned our state body um, for funding um, so that we could secure the border, uh, we had to make a, a concerted effort as to what were the benefits of doing that. And what that meant was sending DPS troopers from all across the state down to the border so that they could provide and enhance the security measures that Border Patrol was under uh, undertaking. Mm. At the same time, he uh, he took the National Guard, the state National Guard, and also implemented them as part of the border security measures and sent a, a bunch of them down to the border. And we have made, made up tents. Um, we have Charlie Camp, for example, here in Eagle Pass, where we have uh, thousands of our, our Texas State National Guard uh, stationed down here so that they could pr- also provide added security measures for the border. And then Operation Lone Star would also have an aspect of uh, a reimbursement aspect for funding for expenses that counties have actually undertaken and and having to assist Border Patrol or the troopers with this migrant surge and so that they could have their monies reimbursed because obviously city local, small cities on the border or counties don't have the same resources that some of these urban um, bigger cities like San Antonio, Houston, and Austin have. And so that, that's the reason why when I went out there, our county judges and our mayors from, you know, at that time I represented 12 counties, now I represent 11 counties. Uh, my district is still the largest district in the state of Texas and in the United States. Uh, there's over 770 miles of a shared border with Mexico. And like I mentioned, I represent nine out of the 14 counties that share a border with Mexico. And so because of those reasons, I knew that they were undergoing an extensive number of expenses and we needed to have a reimbursement mechanism. Uh, Specifically, though, I'd like to add also that I think an added measure that can be articulated as to why Governor Abbott's actions actually fall outside and are unlawful. Also, I think an argument can be made. Representative Tracy King and I, in the first legislative cycle of Operation Lone Star, we added an amendment to the bill where he would not be able to condemn or take anyone's property away oh. using Operation Lone Star funds. And now we're actually seeing exactly that. He's taken over Shelby Park and he's using Operation Lone Star funding mm-hmm. to house the National Guard and the troopers there in that area. And I think that that would be another a legal argument that could be articulated. Yeah. Uh, this last legislative cycle, we again passed close to $5 billion 
uh, for uh, the second set of Operation Lone Star. And we didn't have to file that amendment because the main author of the bill had already incorporated it uh, using the, 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 the final, I guess, b- bill um, draft from the 87th legislature. Mm, mm, okay. Well, so, Professor Vladek, with all this background uh, in mind, there is this standoff, essentially political standoff happening in, you know, in Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. I have seen some um, legal analysts say that this potentially could cause uh, the worst or a, a constitutional crisis unlike we've seen since 1954 uh, and the standoff over uh, desegregating, um, you know, schools in Little Rock Arkansas. What do you think about that? You know, Megan, I think it's possible, but I think it's important to stress that I don't think we're there yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of folks, I think, have spent much of the last nine days um, accusing Governor Abbott of already uh, provoking a constitutional crisis because, you know, last Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with the federal government on a very narrow question in one of the three lawsuits pending between the federal government and Texas over what's happening along the border. Um, I think a lot of folks misread Governor Abbott's reaction to that is defying what the Supreme Court had done. He didn't. I mean, the Supreme Court didn't order him to do anything. But, Magna, what that testifies to is that I think everyone's sort of attention spans are very fixated on what's happening because one of the things that happened last week is after the Supreme Court ruled against Governor Abbott, basically all the court said is the federal government can remove the razor wire that Texas has placed along the border, there were a number of right-wing commentators and even members of Congress, Congressman Chip Roy, foremost among them, calling for Governor Abbott to ignore an adverse Supreme Court ruling. So, Megan, I think, you know, it's it's not just that Governor Abbott is taking a position that is, I think, radically at odds with long-settled constitutional understandings. It's that there is a real vocal um, crowd on the right pushing him to defy not just the federal government, but the Supreme Court if it comes to that. And I think that's what's so alarming about this. It's not just that you have, you know, federal and state officials in close proximity to each other in Shelby Park and elsewhere. It's that we are in this moment where immigration has become such a toxic wedge political issue that, you know, the sort of the reaction from the right to small setbacks that Texas is receiving thus far in court is to heck with the courts. That's where I think we could see a constitutional crisis, you know, not just on the question of is Governor Abbott right or wrong on the law. Okay. So we're not there yet, but it seems like you're saying that the stage is being set to potentially propel the country to a constitutional crisis. Now, I want to just uh, correct something I said earlier when I mentioned desegregation in Little Rock. I said 1954. That was actually Brown v. Board. It wasn't until 1957 that that uh, crisis between the Eisenhower administration and the governor of Arkansas took place in, um, in Little Rock. But actually, you know... To that point, there are also folks uh, and, you know, uh, an increasing number of Democrats willing to be vocal about this who say, well, the Biden administration outside of the courts could be doing more. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they don't necessarily disagree with House Speaker Johnson when he says, well, perhaps the president should just use his powers of being able to issue executive orders in order to, um, you know, deal more effectively with, uh, you know, with the border crisis. I mean, Professor Vladek, what do you think about that? 
So I think I mean I think there are two problems with that line of thought. The first is that you know I think and and, and Representative Morales should weigh in. But yes. my sense is that the problem on the federal side is a lack of resources. Um, and you know you can do a lot by an executive order. You can't create money out of nothing. And so, you know, this is why President Biden, I think, with heavy criticism from immigration groups and from, you know, folks on the left, um, has been pushing for a deal in Congress because he needs more money. He needs more agents. You know, there's we need more federal personnel. So, you know, the first problem is if, if it's about resources, that really has to come from Congress, where by all accounts, the reason why nothing's going forward is because former President Trump would rather run on the border than fix the border. Um, Magna, the second piece, and this is where you know former Congressman Castro, I think, is part of the story. There have been calls on President Biden to federalize the Texas National yeah, Guard. Yeah, I was wondering what you thought about that. Well, so first, I mean, I think we should stress that would just escalate the situation further. I mean, that would be a pretty radical assertion of federal authority over a state. Um, You can read the relevant statute to maybe get the president the authority to do it. I think it's a close call. It really depends upon how willing he would be to take the position that Texas is obstructing the enforcement of federal laws. Um, but also, I mean, Magna, what it really testifies to is that, you know, this really is, I think, to some degree, a trap for the Biden administration, which has, you know, not done as much as it could have over the last couple of years to handle this problem. Um, and it's a trap in the sense that if they do nothing, they'll be attacked for their indolence. And if they act in the most aggressive ways that perhaps President Trump might have acted if he had been in office, then they'll get hammered for, you know, overreaching on the federal side. And I think that's why focusing on the court battles is really perhaps the the, the best way to lower the temperature. You know, instead of having it be Biden versus Abbott, like what do the federal courts have to say? And that's where these three pending lawsuits, one about the razor wire, one about the movable buoys that Governor Abbott placed in the middle of the Rio Grande last year. And then the third one, which is actually, I think, the really big one, the challenge to SB4, the new Texas immigration law that's set to go into effect in March. Megan, I think that's really the sort of the better way out for everyone here, because I think the courts can and should conclusively resolve these disputes. I suspect they would resolve them in favor of the federal government. And maybe that would help to lower the political temperature at least a Mm, little bit. Okay. Representative Morales, let me ask you this about uh, what Professor Vladek just said. Uh, It's fairly clear. I mean, I think it's crystal clear from House Republicans that no matter what comes out of the Senate, and and there are there's a bipartisan group of senators still working on um, an immigration uh, deal in the Senate, whether regardless of whether the House uh, says it won't vote on it, which Speaker Johnson has been clear about, they, he's not going to bring it to the floor of the House. But um, so I mean, we could let that legislative process play out, and also the legal process that uh, Professor Vladek talks about it needs to play out as well. But in order, um, does any of that matter in the minds of voters, in the minds of your constituents, in terms of their frustration of the complete, let's say, uh, uh, impotence they see in Congress and uh, in in President Biden? I mean, are they getting fed up with this? And could it have an impact on how they vote um, in November? Uh, it does. And I mean, just to speak as to how illogical the argument is from Speaker Johnson, they can continue to claim that the Biden and the White House, President Biden and the White House are not doing enough with respect to the border. And when they have an opportunity to actually fast track border legislation 
in a way that they where they control the House of Representatives right now, the Republicans, and they can fashion a legislative bill to their liking, they're taking the opposite view of that. And they're actually asking President Biden to uh, take executive order action, which makes no sense. They continue to bring this up as their number one issue. And it's for a perfect reason. Every time that this gets pulled, it pulls for the Republican base at 60 to 70 percent border security does. And so they have every reason to want to continue to talk about it day in and day out. But they don't want to fix it because they want to scare their base so that they can come out to fight. And all they have now, after dealing with all these social issues, all they have now is a border security instead of really talking about the economy and jobs and infrastructure and getting uh, public funding at the level that it should be teaching, uh, paying our, our teachers, uh, right, uh, correct salary, you know, an increase of a minimum of 15,000, which is what the Democrats uh, are, are pushing for access to, to health care, especially in rural areas like my district. Those are the things that I think the community and the constituents of Texas want us to focus on. And instead, we're being led and they're great propagandists when it comes to this. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, I, I, I listened to uh, I read a quote, and it, and it was, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And it's attributed to Albert Einstein. How how true that is, I, I don't know. Um, but I think that the bigger picture here in trying to understand the dynamic is that you have Anglo white Americans that are seeing their life change drastically right in front of them. And this change is scary for them to now see a, the minority actually be the majority like it is in Texas. And I think that we need to take a pause and understand that everything's going to be okay and just make sure that they understand, yes, times are changing, but we will be okay for them. Mm. And these migrants actually make it better for all of us. We have 800,000 jobs that remained unfilled in the state of Texas, a 4% unemployment rate. We need laborers. Yeah. Well, you know, Representative Morales, on that point, I'm afraid we've run out of time. Representative Eddie Morales joining us today from Eagle Pass and Professor Stephen Vladek with us from Austin. My deep thanks to you both. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.